Well, this morning we begin a new series that I have called How To. It's a series that we are going to look at for the next several months, and it has multiple topics that we're going to look at, a number of different things that's going to carry us through the Christmas season into the new year and a little beyond. Uh, But this morning, I wanted to begin a three-part message leading up to Thanksgiving called How to Come Together Without Falling Apart. How to come together without falling apart. Specifically, the topic I want us to focus on this morning is what I would look at the question is, what are you serving? What are you serving? When, as we approach the holidays, really this week, with Tuesday being Halloween for me, Tuesday and Halloween is kind of a a marker in the year that really officially uh, ushers in the true holiday season with Thanksgiving and Christmas and everything that comes in that. And in our house is just with with our kids, with family. It's just, it's always a time of year, the fall season with both Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's always a season that we look forward to, we anticipate, and we uh, just look forward to spending time together. For me, that season really ranks at the top of the list for me in, in, by means of different seasons that we can have uh, throughout the calendar year and throughout our lives. Just that, that holiday season that we get to come together. And there's many things I love about it. I love the food. I love the time that we get together for food. I love the family. I love the football. I love everything about that specific time. The, sometimes there's extra time off and you get to be with family or friends or to travel and to, to see ones that you love all those things that we look forward to. But I also realized that when it comes to the, some of the greatest parts of the holiday season, being able to spend time with family members and friends, that the one thing, being with family members and friends, the one thing that can be the greatest joy is also the one thing that can be the greatest challenge. But at some point, many of us will spend time, whether you have family members who live in town or you travel some distance to be with family or you have family who will travel some distance to be with you, that at some point, most of us will end up spending some time with individuals who really know how to stress you. They know how to challenge you they, in a number of ways. It could be in personality. It could be in a series of life choices that they've made that have put them in a very different place. It could be a set of choices in their beliefs and where they're at now that it really brings a strain into your relationship or any number of things uh, that really can stress that. And while I really believe that most here this morning will strive and will work hard to be kind and to be gracious, gracious, that inwardly, if we could all be honest, that at times when we come in contact with individuals like that, people you love and care about, that in those times that there is an inward straining, there's an inward stretching, there's an inward stress that comes that begins to at times limit the grace that you're willing to offer. It can begin to limit the grace that you're willing to move in. It can begin to limit the words that you choose to restrain yourself from using. It can limit the kindness. You can find yourself, the longer you're around those individuals, you can find yourself being a, a person that you really never realized you could true, still, truly still be. Has any ever been, anyone ever been there? I think there's a few of us that maybe a, a, a hidden hand that we're raising uh, to recognize that that is us. That's who we are. And I would assume that at these different family gatherings that we have, these times that we get together, that when you get together, that many times you'll, you'll spend a great deal of time thinking about what it is that you're going to serve. What it is that you're going to put in front of those that you're with, whether you're going to someone's house and you're bringing a dish, you're bringing a portion of the meal, or perhaps you're hosting an event, you're hosting at a time in your house, you begin to put time and consideration into the the meal, the snacks, the desserts, the things that you'll do, the way you'll host to make others feel welcome. 
But I would suggest to you this morning that the best preparation that each of us can, can consider is not but what we are serving by way of our food that we'll put in front of ones we love and guests, but rather that we take time to consider and prepare what we will be serving by way of our mouths. The words and the comments that we will choose to say, the conversations we'll choose to have or not have, the complaining, the, the cutting comments, the, 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 the griping, what are the things that are going to be flowing out of our mouths and really overflowing out of our hearts? And if we take time to really consider what we'll be serving from that regard of our life rather than the, the dish or the food that we'll bring, I believe that we can have a far greater influence and a far greater impact on those that are in our lives and upon our families. So it's with that in mind this morning that I'd like to ask you to join me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 25. I'd like to look at Ephesians 4, 25 through uh, 5, verse 2 this morning. And if you have a piece of paper, a bu- uh, your bulletin, you could stick it there. You also can turn over to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at these two passages for just a little bit this morning. But Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 25. It says, therefore, earlier in Ephesians 4, it's been talking about the new life of Christ and how he comes and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changing us and he's transforming us and he's making you and he's making me into be more of who God has desires for us to be the effect of the resurrected Christ upon our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it says, therefore, in light of that, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Back in September, uh, we took a a pause on the expectancy series that we had been going through. I took time to look in Ephesians 1, and I began to talk about how I had taken some time just to continue to read and reread through the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and just letting God just speak to my life, speak to who I am. And that there was a repetitive theme that began to surface out of the book of Ephesians when you'd look through it. It speaks to three very specific parts of the Christian life. When you look at the book of Ephesians, it speaks specifically to who we are to be in Christ. It speaks to who you are in Christ. If you've placed your life in, in your faith in Jesus Christ, the Ephesians speaks to who you are in Christ. That when you look at this list of things in Ephesians 4 and other places in Scripture, the Christian life is never about striving to become something you're not. It's never about striving to, to try to incorporate things into your life that aren't a part of who you are. It's never about who, trying to become something you're not. Rather, the Christian life, by faith in Jesus Christ, is a matter of striving to become who God already sees us to be, to be different, 
to be changed, to reflect his nature and our nature. So we see that Ephesians speaks about the Christian life and it speaks to what, who we are in Christ. Secondly, it speaks to how we are to think in Christ. This is what we specifically talked about in, in September, speaking about what the resurrected frame of mind looks like and how the enemy loves to try to come in and disrupt our thought life. But ultimately, to recognize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the impact of that upon our lives is specifically intended to, in one realm, affect our thinking, to affect our mind, to affect how we think about God, to affect how we think about situations. In 1 Corinthians, it says that you and I, that we have the mind of Christ, that we have a renewed, we're to be having a renewed mind. And then the third one is it speaks to how we are to live, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the impact that it is to have on how we go about living our lives that Ephesians specifically gives instructions on what we are to do with our bodies, what we're to do with our actions, what we're to do with our passions, how we're to treat others. And that among those different things, it speaks specifically to our mouths, that a resurrected way of living, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that, that that brings change into our lives and it should be reflected in our speech. If you look in Colossians chapter 3, it's a, a very similar passage to what we've just read, a very, very, almost a parallel passage in the things that the Apostle Paul is writing to early believers. And I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 3, specifically in regards to our mouth. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, but now, again, think, recognizing that someone has been changed, they've, they've placed faith in Jesus Christ. It says, but now you also must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Verse 9 says, since you have taken off, it says you're different. Since Christ is living in you, your life is to be different. It should reflect the one in whom who, we, who has saved us by his grace. He, in these two places, and these two places are not exhaustive, even what we've looked at. There's more to, that speaks to the Christian life than we've even looked at this morning from just these two passages. But in these two places and in many others, it's very clear is that what's intended is to recognize is that our relationship with Jesus Christ is intended to do far more than just restore you and me into relationship with God. And what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, it's meant to be far more, it's to, meant to do far more in your life than just restore you into right relationship with God. That is the primary thing that Jesus has done. He has destroyed the control of sin in your life, and he has restored you into relationship with God. But what the scriptures go on to tell us is that the impact of that restored relationship with God is so transformational. It's so transformational into your life. It's so transformational into our lives that it is to transform our lives of how we're living right now. That it's not just we've been restored into relationship with God so that one day, whether Jesus comes or this life ends, that we can stand before God in heaven and we can be restored into heaven. We can, we're in relationship with him and we're received into heaven for all eternity. That is a part of it. But the impact of the, the relationship with God is meant to be so real and so impacting in your life that it's meant to transform and change who you are right now. I've said this before, but when we talk about having eternal life and in us, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that eternal life, sometimes we think about that as meaning is that, well, I'll just live forever. That when I die, I'll just live forever. I'll live for he forever in heaven with God. But that is eternal life, but eternal life is far more than just length of life. It's also depth of life. 
It speaks to the quality of the life that, that his nature, his life, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit living in you and living in me, it speaks to his work in us and how he's continually seeking to align and transform our lives right now. When you read in Ephesians 4 what we've looked at and you read in Colossians 3 what we've looked at, it speaks to just some of the evidences of what that resurrected life is to look like. What your life is to look like when you are in relationship with God. That it's not, it's far more than just fire insurance so you're in relationship with Him, but rather it's a life filled with purpose, a life lived intentionally, a life that reflects the power of the Holy Spirit living in each and every one. Many times when I will read different authors and they'll, they'll each one add their different comments on these different passages. I remember one author that I read some years ago. I don't remember his name, but the book was Jesus plus, plus nothing equals everything. He speaks to the fulfillment of Jesus in our lives, and he speaks to these two passages, specifically what we've looked at in Ephesians and Colossians and the things that happen in our lives, the things that we're to put off. And he says these lists of things that we're not meant to be a part of as believers. He says these lists of things are things that take place on the outside of our lives as evidence that we've chosen not to let Jesus be enough on the inside. To let the work of Jesus be enough on the inside, it's meant to change and transform every single thing about you. And that difference is to be so radical. The difference in your life in relationship with Jesus Christ, living under the power of the Holy Spirit, that change in your life is meant to be so radical that the way the Apostle Paul writes about it in the two passages we've looked at is he speaks about it as if there was a completely different change of wardrobe that takes place in a person. I think the best example would be as if this morning I were wearing an outfit that was completely black and then I were to step off stage and I were to step through this door and I were to change into an outfit that is completely white from head to toe and I were to step back in that you wouldn't help but you would you would recognize there's something different. There's something radically different about me as I stand here and that's the difference that's meant to be in, a, in someone who has been restored into relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is to, to change us in such a radical way. See, all too often, I believe, when it comes to the Christian life, when we look at the Christian life, we make being a Christian much like checking off many of the different boxes that we will find on an application. You'll look down the list and you'll say, it says, it says Asian, African, Caucasian, Hispanic, check. Male, female, check. Atheist, Muslim, Christian, check. Age, and we'll fill it. And we make Christianity one of the many identifiers of who we are. But when we approach being a Christian from that standpoint, we have settled for something that is less than the biblical model of living a Christian life. See, the Christian life is not meant to be merely a part of who you are. It's meant to be everything that you are. Everything that you are, everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you're a part of is meant to reflect your oneness with Jesus Christ. That the power of the Holy Spirit living in you gets into everything that you do, transforms and changes everything that you are, and is meant to be reflected in everything. When, when Jesus died on the cross and defeated sin and then rose from the dead to give us new life, he didn't just want to give you an option of something to be. What the Bible actually says is that in that moment, he created an entirely new class of people. He created an entirely new people group among those who are already living. Look in Colossians chapter 3 if you're still there. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. 
Speaking to the work of Jesus, it says here there is no Gentile or Jew. Jew or Gentile. Gentile would mean everybody else. He says here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and Christ is all. That when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and you placed your faith in him, that it identifies that though, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, that you have become a part of this entirely new people group that Jesus has created. They're people who live by heaven's purposes. They're people who live by heaven's mindset. They're people who live by, by God's design of life, not by what life would tell us. They, they live by the internal guidance of the Holy Spirit that within them. That he's created an entirely new people group. When you and I, if you were to travel to a different country or if you're from another country and perhaps you're here visiting or you're here studying, we welcome you. But as you're here or if you're from here and you go somewhere else, many times when you're in a different culture, and my experience is I'll be in a different culture and, and something about you will stand out from the culture you're in. Whether it be from your attire or it may be from your speech, your language is different. Perhaps the, 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 the words you use are different. Your accent's different. Or perhaps it's in your diet, the things you take in, the things you don't, the habits, the things that you go to, the things that you don't go to. But there's something that's different. There's, there's identifiers in your life that you are not from that country. That you're not one of the, the primary people groups that live there, but that you're different. That you're just visiting, you're just passing through. And that's what Jesus says is, to, is meant to be reflected in those who have placed their faith in him, is that you're just like a, a foreigner passing through this land and that your life is reflecting his life in you. That there are things that are going to stand out to you that are about you that are different. It's going to stand out as being different. People are going to recognize that you're different because your life is founded in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in you through the work of Jesus in your life that he is meant to transform everything about you. It's not a matter of an elimination of your personality, but rather it's a transformation of your personality as the Holy Spirit is living in you. I'd like you to look with me one more time in Ephesians chapter 4, the passage we just looked at. When it comes to recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in us and, and in you and in me as he's changing us and as he's renewing us and as he's transforming us, one of the biggest areas that Scripture repeatedly teaches us that his work is manifested in and the evidence of his work inwardly is being seen outwardly is through our mouths. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It speaks to a changing in who we are. When it speaks to that inward working of the Holy Spirit and the inward change uh, through our mouths, this passage we've looked at just gives us two very specific things. First, it says that our language should reflect our nature. That if the Holy Spirit is living in you, his nature should be reflected in our speech. His, his, his nature should be reflected in who we are. Secondly, it indicates that the things that, the things that we allow to flow from our mouths have a direct impact on our ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. The things that flow out of your mouth have a direct relationship, a direct impact on your relationship 
with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I believe for the Christian mindset, if you're here, if you're a believer, that I, or if you've specifically if you've been around church a long time, sometimes we can read a verse like this, and we can immediately attach this verse to a list of things or a list of words or a list of things that we, we recognize. They're not really a part of our lives, certain words that we won't use, certain vocabulary that we won't use. But I would say that the biggest ways Christians consistently grieve the Holy Spirit is with our mouths. Let me say that again because it got very still and very quiet. That I believe the big, one of the biggest ways that Christians consistently grieve the Holy Spirit is with how we choose to use our mouths. The number one way is not profanity, but I believe that it's in the critical spirit that we unleash with our mouths towards one another. That we unleash a critical spirit, we unleash a slanderous word against other believers, against other people that we're connected to and other people we're in relationship with. And in so doing, we immediately grieve the Holy Spirit in our relationship with him. It could be parents against children. We were just, yesterday, my wife and I had the privilege, our oldest daughter, Kelsey's been teaching in Pittsburgh, and she's home for the week and have her with us, and we had the privilege just to be with her as she was having her wedding dress fitted, and as we were there and talking, the, um, the assistant who was helping us, she was just in conversation, uh, she said, you would be amazed at how many comments I hear from parents towards their daughters and tearing them down and being critical and things. And I believe as believers, we sometimes can even attach this verse and we can think about, about grieving the Holy Spirit more by way of gossip or th- different things. But I believe that we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we unleash a, a critical spirit from our mouths. And that can be parents towards children. That can be children towards parents. That can be church members against other church members. That can be church members against leaders. That can be family against family. And it doesn't matter which direction it's flowing, it all grieves him. The things that flow out of our mouths have a great impact on the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, it says, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. One translation, I've shared it with you before. It's in the Passion Translation. It says, don't take his presence for granted. Don't just assume he's along for the ride wherever you're at. Don't take his presence for granted. Don't take for granted that he's there by letting anything and everything flow out of your mouth and towards others or against others. Last week, I had the privilege of speaking at Chi Alpha on Wednesday night after our prayer service, and just the privilege to come and to be able to speak to those who were there. And one of the things I talked about, not specifically in the topic we're on this morning, but I talked about our relationship, our ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And one, things that I, one of the things that I had shared with them is that in John, 16 verse four, or John 14, verse 16, rather, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's giving them some final instructions just before he's going to be arrested and all that's going to come. And as he's talking with his disciples about, about just things to come, he begins to explain to them more about their ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit and the work that he intends to do in their lives. But he says this to them. He kind of introduces the topic about the Holy Spirit and specifically his work in their lives. He says this. He says, I'm going to leave, and then the Father is going to send another, the advocate of the Holy Spirit. He's going to send another to be with you forever. He says, God's going to send the Holy Spirit. In my absence, God's going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you forever. Now, I sometimes will make the mistake just mentally. I'm reading it. I'm kind of in the moment reading the passage. Jesus tells the disciples, God is going to send the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you forever. That it's a future promise for the disciples. Jesus gives the disciples a future promise that the Holy Spirit will be with them forever. 
But what is a future promise for the disciples then is now a past promise for you and for me. Not past meaning it's expired, but rather past meaning it's been fulfilled. He's with us forever. He's with you forever. There is not a space or a moment or a place or a word you'll say or a thought you'll have where the Holy Spirit is not there with you, seeing it and hearing it and listening. In light of Ephesians 4.30, where it says not to grieve the Holy Spirit, realizing that he is with us forever, that that means that when you're talking to someone, such as a family member or a friend at a holiday gathering or a family member or friend in the living room or sitting around the dining room table, that whether it's during the din- in the dining room table or around the, in the room or it's in the office or wherever it's at, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is there listening. And that means that on the way to those gatherings and on the way home from the gatherings, when you're talking to your spouse and you're talking to your kids or you're laying in your bedroom or you're brushing your teeth or wherever you're at, and you begin to express things to those in your family, that he's there listening as well. That the Holy Spirit is there at every moment and every turn and every part of our lives. When I was younger, I used to encourage my kids to remember and recognize the continual presence of the Holy Spirit with them at all moments. And the best way I used to describe it to them, especially when they were younger, is I said, picture the Holy Spirit as being just a dove that's sitting on your shoulder as you go through the day. Just a physical dove that's sitting there. And as you walk through the day and as you go through the day, you want to, everything that you do, you want to do in light of keeping the dove sitting there. That you don't want to make choices by way of entertainment. You don't want to make choices by way of of music. You don't want to make choices by way of the places you go, or you don't want to make choices by way of the words you say, the things you think about that would make him flutter away. Because most often when we make those choices that would make the, 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 the nearness and the Holy Spirit just flutter away where we'd grieve him, most often those choices happen and we don't even recognize that we've created that distance in our lives, in our relationship with him until it's already happened. To recognize and know that he's with you in all moments. That we make every choice in light of him being there with us. And if the Holy Spirit is living in us and he's living in you and he's living in me, his nature is intended to become part of our nature. And because his nature is intended to become part of our nature, our language should reflect our nature. In other words, our language should reflect the occupant who lives within us. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be far more than just behavior modification. Because anybody can, be, can modify their behavior for a season. But God's desire in your life and in my life is not merely behavior modification, but rather that there would be lasting change, change that flows from the inside out, that transforms our speech, that changes our thinking, that changes our actions and how we treat others. You know, and you might hear all of that, and you might recognize, and you can see the scriptural evidence in front of you, and hear the things that I'm saying, and you're, but you're thinking ahead to the holiday season, and perhaps those you'll be with, and really for any season. And you might think, you know, that sounds good, and that may even be biblical, but you don't know the people that I'm going to have to be with. Or you might think, that sounds really good, but you haven't met my brother's family, or you haven't met my in-law. You haven't met my father-in-law. You could put all those different individuals on that list. And you might find yourself thinking about those individuals, and you might say, well, so-and-so makes me so angry when, and then you fill in the blank, or they really test my patience when, 
and you fill in the blank of what it is that they do, or any number of statements that we do that, that we can say that points out the issues and the challenges that others bring when they come into our lives. And in light of that, I'd love to share with you, if you need to turn with me to one more passage in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. I want to read the whole context of what Jesus is saying, but I want to focus in mostly just on one verse. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says this. He's, he's right in the middle of one of his heated exchanges with some of the religious leaders who've been trying to challenge him and question him and trap him and all the different things that they would do to try to humiliate him. And Jesus gives them this answer. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, he was saying you can't just do behavior modification. It has to be changed on the inside. But he goes on. He says, you brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. But back back up and look at verse 34 again. Jesus says this. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So according to Jesus, what he's teaching, when we talk about those people who stress us, those people who strain you, those people who make you angry, those people who try your patience, what what Jesus is saying in this moment and in these words to us is that he's saying is that your mouth is the overflow valve of what's happening in your heart. Your mouth is the overflow valve of your heart. To take that further with what Jesus is saying is that when we say that rather what he says is the mouth is the indication of what's happening in your heart. So when someone comes into your life who makes you angry, someone who comes into your life who makes you lose your cool, makes you lose your patience or whatever we would label we would put on those moments where those people stress or strain or challenge you, that while we might say they do it, what Jesus says is those people in those situations are not causing us to do anything, but rather they are merely revealing and drawing out the things that are already within us. What Jesus says is they don't put anything into us. They merely highlight who we already are. That they don't, they don't make us, they reveal us. So when you're around somebody who, that you're near them, you're around them, and the more that their personality is doing what their personality does, or the more that they say the things that they do, or the more their choices that they make have impacted you and your family in this gathering, those things that begin to boil up within you, those, those cutting words that you want to say, those comments that you want to say, or the complaints that you want to unload on your spouse on the way home, or, or just the lack of patience that you have, all of those things... Jesus says that person didn't put them there. They merely revealed what was already lying under the surface. Rather, what they did was they revealed that the lack of behavior modification, that behavior modification can only last for so long in our lives. Not in theirs, but in our lives. See, by nature, many times, through interactions that we've had with individuals, And through a series of choices that we make internally, we've reached a point and reached a place where we've conditioned ourselves to act a certain way based on a certain action. 
We've conditioned ourselves to have a certain reaction to someone's action. And it's become so fast and so quick in our lives and so fluid in our lives that we just feel like this person does this, it makes me do this. This person does that, it makes me do that. When they say this, it makes me angry and I do this. But what we fail to realize is that in those, that, that moment, we have so conditioned ourselves to say yes in that choice that we have really yielded the choice to the action. If we stop and realize that in those moments, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can recognize the choices that we have along the way so that when someone does something, it doesn't bring up a certain reaction or action within us. And you might look at that and you might think, how, how do you get there? You know, how do you get there when I have this person or that person or this family member or that family member and I just know how it works and how it goes and how fast did I get angry, how fast I get frustrated, how fast my, my patience is gone. And the truth is, when you look in Scripture, specifically regarding those issues, God doesn't expect you to change a thing. He's not expecting you to change one thing about you. Rather, in Ephesians 5.1, a verse we've already looked at, it says, says this, if you look at it again, it says, follow God's example. Follow his lead. Let him take the lead in your life. Rather than trying to fix it on your own, let him take the lead in your life. Now, if we were to end service today and I were to come, over, come up to you before I leave and I'd say, hey, I'd like for you to follow me home tonight, today, to come over to my house for whatever the reason. I'd say, just follow me home when we leave. And then I climb in the car and I begin to drive and I'm driving home and I'm headed that way and I get halfway home and I turn around and realize that you're not in my rear view mirror. I don't see you in your car following me. So I turn around and I backtrack the way I came, the route I took to, to get out to home. And I come back to the church and I find you, yourself sitting in the same parking lot, the same parking space that you were when you climbed in the car when I left. And I would come over to you and I would say, well, I, I indicated that I would lead you, but you still have to make the choice to follow. You still have to take actions to follow that it comes down to you have a responsibility to follow me and I will lead you to where it is you need to go. And that's what Jesus tells us. Really, that's what scripture tells us in Ephesians 5.1, that God's not expecting you to change or, or adjust or, or change your speech or your language on your own. He says, by the power of his Holy Spirit living in you and living in me, that he wants to help. He wants us to follow his lead. And as the Holy Spirit continues to seek, or seeks to lead us and to guide us in a lifestyle that reflects more and more of him, that it will begin to change not merely our speech, but it will change the patterns of our hearts. It will change the things we allow our, our, our hearts to focus on. The, the focus of our speech, the focus of the things that we say, should never be focused on the, the situations we find ourselves in. And the things that flow out of our mouths should never be focused on the person that perhaps is coming at us or coming against you with something. Rather, the things that flow out of your mouth should not, should not be gauged by who's around you, but by who's living in you. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and his willingness to help lead you into a transformed life, a transformed way of thinking, a transformed uh, focus of the heart that will in turn change how we speak and how we react to one another. Now, one of the things that I've found in life is that I've found from experience that if I want to do something, I need to get into an environment that is conducive to the behavior or the action that I want to learn. I found that if I want to learn how to play basketball, it's kind of hard to learn how to play basketball sitting on my bed thinking about basketball. 
Instead, if I want to learn how to play basketball, I'm going to find a pair of shoes that work for basketball. I'm going to find a basketball, and I'm going to find a basketball court, and I may find someone who's going to try to teach me, but I'm going to begin to put myself into an environment that helps me learn basketball. Does that make sense? If I want to learn how to swim, my standing here all day and trying trying to conjure up in my mind the best idea of swimming is not accomplishing swimming. The best way that I can learn how to swim is to put myself into an environment that allows me or enables me to begin to put into practice the things that I learn about swimming. So I will find a pool. And that really goes with any other thing with driving. If I want to learn how to drive, yes, there's a lot of courses and teachings and things I can find uh, both in school and online and a number of things. But at the end of the day, I still have to get behind the wheel and learn how to drive. I have to put myself into an environment that is conducive, that flows with those, the things that I need to learn so I can put them into practice. And so what I'd like to do this morning is end by giving you four very simple, you don't need to feel like I'm starting a whole other message, but four very simple things that I believe we can do, actions we can take that begin to align our lives, align our hearts, and align our speech into an environment that allows the Holy Spirit to work. Four very specific, very simple things we can do that puts us in the environment of recognizing how the Holy Spirit wants to work, how he wants to guide you, and how he wants to shape you specifically in these gatherings so we can really be mindful of what it is that we're serving. The first one, and I I think I probably make this just about every single action point that I give you when I give an action point, but the first one is know what God's word says about your mouth. Know what God's word says about your mouth. And we have to know God's word. There will be no growth, no development in your life if you don't know God's word. There will be no growth and no advancement in your life, in your Christian life, if you don't know God's word. You can serve Christ for 20 years and be one year deep if you don't spend time in God's word. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you through his word, to change you through his word, to reveal through his word. The scriptures are full of instructions on things about our mouth what flows out of our mouth, the type of speech that we're to have from husbands to wives to parents to relationships all across the board. Proverbs alone has almost 60 different passages that speak to your mouth and the things that you choose to let flow out of it. Like a quick search online, you can do a quick Google search online and you can find all sorts of verses that speak to the the use of your mouth far more than just in gossip and bad language, but recognizing the way that God wants to change our speech. And then I would encourage you, Not only just know it, but then take a moment and begin to memorize. Pick a verse or two. Don't be overwhelmed by a list of verses. Pick one or two verses. Begin to memorize it. In our home, we have a chalkboard right in a central area in the kitchen. And every morning before everyone scatters and heads off to school or different things, we take a moment, we read Scripture, we pray over the kids, they climb on the bus and they're out. But we take time to memorize Scripture. We take time to look at this chalkboard. And right now on the chalkboard is Psalms 1914. May may these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord my God. That we'd stop and think about what we're saying with our mouths and that it's meant to be pleasing to God. Another verse you could consider is Psalms 141 verse 3. It says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. You could start with the verses we've looked at in Ephesians 4 about recognizing that our language is to reflect the occupant, the Holy Spirit who's living in us. So first, know what God's word says about your mouth. Take time to memorize scriptures. Make them a part of your prayer. As you pray over your life, you pray over your day. Secondly, 
Don't just know what God's word says about your mouth. Apply what you know to be true about God's word for your mouth. Look for ways to put it into action. Put verses, if, if you're hosting a family event at your house, if you know that most of the time you're gonna be hanging out in the kitchen, peeling potatoes and talking to a family member or you're gonna be tempted to gossip, hang up verses around the room that remind you of what scripture says about gossip. If, you're, if you are prone to complaining to your children on the way there and on the way home and you set the tone of their heart by the things that are flowing out of your mouth about who you're gonna be with and so-and-so and their habits and what they do and all of this and the way they eat and the way this they talk and all those things, instead of spending time on the way there unloading your complaints, put a verse or two around your car that will remind you about the importance of what's flowing out of your mouth. If you're prone to complaining or grumbling as you're going to bed, put it by your, by your alarm clock. Put it, on your, put it on your mirror. Look for places and, and put God's word in visible places. It might be you're at someone else's house. Write down the verse. You've got it memorized. Put it in a note card on your pocket. So all you have to do is put your hand in your pocket and feel the note card and you're reminded of the verse that's there. But look for ways to allow God's word to guide and influence your life and look to apply his word. It's one thing to know it Secondly, look to actively apply it. Third, see your part of the issue. See your part in the issue. Many times, those that are hard to be around in our lives are hard to be around because of unresolved issues and unresolved conflict and unsettled tension. As Jesus said, really, it's because there's unsettled heart issues. Most often, what we do is we see the faults of others and we wait for them to acknowledge their faults so that we can be right. But take time to stop and acknowledge your part in the issue. Instead of seeing their part or avoiding them, take time to examine how you make matters worse. Take time to examine how you make matters worse. Are you maintaining the tension? Or are, are you offering words and actions of grace? There are times in our lives that we need to choose relationship rather than choosing to be right. Just think about, there, for some, there is application of that on the car ride home. You can choose relationship over choosing to be right. But take time to examine your part in the issue. Is there unforgiveness on your part that needs to be addressed? Do you need to choose to offer grace where there has been none? Unforgiveness and bitterness in your life, if you allow it to, unforgiveness and bitterness in your life will become a lens and a filter that you view every single thing with from that person towards your life. Even the most kindest acts will be tainted by your unforgiveness and your bitterness. One author even said when it comes to unforgiveness, he said, unforgiveness is the devil's playground and it will become the Christian's battleground if it's not addressed. Recognize your part in the issue. And Jesus said, if we want the blessing of God to rest in our life, Jesus said there's a blessing for those who work to be the peacemaker. He said there's a blessing for those who work to be the peacemaker. Then that begins by seeing your contribution to the tension. And it may not even be an action. It may be addressing a pattern of thinking and a pattern of speaking that you have given yourself permission to do about that person when they're not around recognize your part in the issue. And then lastly, pray for those in your life. 
Pray for those that are in your life. Pray for family, pray for friends, pray for neighbors, pray for coworkers, pray for those in your life. In 1 Timothy 2.2, all believers are instructed to pray for, the, for all people. And it says not just to pray prayers of petition, meaning presenting needs, but it says we are to pray prayers of thanksgiving. So think of that one person in your life that is the most frustrating. Think about that one person in your life that, and maybe you have a list of 10, not one. But you have the people in your life that strain you, stress you, test you the most. When was the last time you prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for them? Pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Pray prospering prayers for them. Pray for those that are hardest to be around. And pray for God's grace over their lives. And I would encourage you, don't pray at them. Pray for them. Don't pray at them. Pray, God, change this, 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 and this about them. Pray for them. Pray prayers of blessing over their lives. And I believe that when you and me, when we put these things, these simple things into, these simple choices into actions, and there's many more, that I believe these are choices, these are actions that put our hearts, put our lives, and put our mouths in the right environment for the Holy Spirit to continue to work. To align ourselves with how he wants to work through us, how he wants to work in us, that they're action steps that I believe open our hearts and open our lives to recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, his leading and his guidance and his influence in our lives will become more and more clear in the spaces and the moments that we've not recognized him before. But I believe many of us may not realize it, but God seeks to weave his voice in and out of every part of your day. He weaves his voice in and out of every relationship that you keep. And then if we're willing to let him, if we're willing to open our hearts through some of these, these choices and others that God may put on your heart, that I believe his voice and his guidance will begin to be more and more clear so that we can recognize how he's guiding us, we can recognize how he's leading us, we can recognize how he wants us to better reflect him around those that we're with. And I believe that it's through this, regardless of where we find ourselves or who we find ourselves around, that the words we offer, and more importantly, the content of our hearts, can be better aligned with the continued work of God's Spirit within us and through us to everyone that he's entrusted around us. Once you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you right now. God, I thank you that your word speaks life. I thank you that your word speaks truth. I thank you that the words that you give us through your word are meant to bring freedom. And Lord, right now, as we've looked at your word, I invite you by your Holy Spirit to begin to work. I invite you to examine my life. I invite you to examine every heart and life in this place. And that in these simple moments before you, that we would be honest and real with the things that we know you see, but the things that we need to come to grips with in our own lives to see and begin to deal with. 